Good morning. My name is Kristen Paleo. I have the pleasure of reading our scripture. It's found in the book of Psalms, chapter 46. You can follow along with me from the screen or from the Pew Bible, page 441. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the water though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we passed out Christmas flyers that have, um, hopefully in the bulletin, just some information about the services. We, we made them, of course, for you, um, but I say this every year, and that's that we'd love for you to consider handing them to someone else, maybe a neighbor, coworker, friend, family member. Around Christmas time, Nazar, can you just go down just a little bit? I want the volume... Around Christmas time, people who would never come to church might come to church, but we might have to ask them. We have two Christmas services on Christmas Eve Eve, so two nights before Christmas, and we're asking people to bring plates of cookies if you want to come and then stay that time between, come early or, or stay between the services or come early to the second one. Um, so bring your favorite plate of cookies. If anyone brings dairy-free, egg-free <laughs> cookies that were not cooked in an oven that's ever had dairy in it, then I would love to enjoy them with you. <laughs> but I'll probably just bring a sleeve of Oreos for myself um, and feel sorry, but... Um, no one wants to bring the most no-fun cookies. Anyway, Christmas morning, we'll have one service at 10.30, so not this service, just the, the 10.30 one. Very simple, um, just a, uh, us and some hymns. I'm going to lead a Christmas sermon of sorts here on the stage with, with any children, and, and if you want to come in your Christmas jammies, um, as, you get points for that. I, I don't know. You're welcome to do that. So that's what we have planned, but let's turn our attention to God's word. Would you, would you pray with me one more time? Lord, we thank you for this promise that's repeated twice, that you are with us. You are with us, even now. Lord, through the preaching of your word and, and the gathering of your people, would you Help us to what we know is true to experience as true. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
We have 150 psalms or songs in our God-inspired hymn book that we call this book of psalms. The majority of them were written over a few hundred years by different authors, such as King David, or in this case, a musical guild called the Sons of Korah. They wrote 11 psalms, including verse, or Psalm 46, which we're studying during Advent. And people who study the psalms and think about their themes, and they, they try to classify them in different categories, they would classify Psalm 46 as a psalm of confidence. Psalm of confidence. However, that classification could mislead you. It could mislead you to think that psalms of confidence are the sorts of psalms that believers gather to study and sing when they are already confident in the Lord, already confident in the Lord's sovereign rule over the nation, already confident in the Lord's goodness, already confident in His particular care for their lives, and thus they already know they have nothing to fear. But that, misunderstand, that understanding would be a mistake. When the people of God gather to study and sing psalms of confidence, it may be that some among them are already confident in the sovereignty and goodness and care of the Lord. We hope there are. But on the whole, psalms of confidence are for those who lack confidence. They are for people who believe in the sovereignty and goodness of God, but calamities of one kind or another have shaken their confidence. So they gather, they pray, they study, they read, they sing to one another that what they know to be true is true. They gather to remind one another that their confidence in the Lord is not misplaced, especially when suffering and chaos would tempt believers to doubt, as God says in verse 1, that he is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. When I read verse 1, I, I think of my former boss when I was a pastor at my first church is, Name is Greg. I, I loved Greg. I still do. It's a great man. But the younger associate pastors of the church would tease Greg a bit, or a lot. I tell myself that when the associate pastors here tease me, which they do a bit, it's because they also love me. <laughs> That's what I tell myself. But we'd tease Greg about a number of things, but most especially wearing, and I don't want to offend anyone, but wearing the phone on his belt clip. And, which was fairly hypocritical of me because I had worked, prior to moving to this church, I had worked six years in construction, and everyone wore their phone on their belt clip, no matter how old we were, including me. But something about when we got there, we would tease Greg that he was older than he was, or whatever it was. However, the joke always went that if ever we were in trouble, in a situation where seconds mattered... We would call Greg because his phone would not be off in another room. It would not be in a desk drawer. It wouldn't be in his pocket somewhere. It would be right there on his holster. <laughs> One Christmas, Greg bought me a leather belt clip for my phone. 
So as silly it is, it is I, I, I can't read verse 1 and not think about Greg. God is our refuge and strength, and what does it say? A very present help. More present than your pastor, or closest friend, or family member, or the police, or ambulance, or an emergency room, or an EpiPen, insulin, or the National Guard. God is a very present help. He's near. Indeed, as Pastor David pointed out last week, he's with us in the storm. And there is a storm. In verse 2, we read of a time so chaotic that mountains move into the heart of the sea. In Genesis chapter 1, God separates the land from the waters. So in a way, Psalm 46 invites us to envision a time when creation is revolting back against God's ordained limits. In a biblical framework, mountains are fixed, they're firm. Whereas in the Bible, the sea is scary, mysterious, unpredictable. And and this isn't only true in the Bible. If you found yourself in a small boat, in what seems like an endless ocean, for days on end, water and waves and storms, you would feel the same. Not to mention how scary the sea would feel in a time before GPS and maps of the known world. To say mountains are thrown into the sea is to feel the pillars of society crumbling into chaos. Think of the day we saw the World Trade Center buildings collapse into a pile of rubble. Seeing that, we were all concerned and some I think with the East Coast here being the proximity to the city, some even more than others for friends and family, other connections to the city. But I think that many of us were shocked that something so fixed and firm would collapse. And not only the physical building itself, so mountain-like, but there were what those buildings represented. The strength and stability of the economy, indeed of America herself. As I was talking with a Christian just the other day, who happens to be a public school teacher, he doesn't go to our church, but attends another wonderful church, and he was talking about his time in the public schools, and he was commenting on diversity training, pronouns, and the rapidness of change, and so on, and he said to me, you know the really sad thing? Is that we have an entire high school full of young men and women who are confused. They they don't know what to think. And this pillar of society that is education, that we spend so much money on, state or local, state, federal level, has pockets of deep confusion and instability like waters roaring, and foaming. On a more personal level, I know many of you have health challenges or care for loved ones with a health challenge and you feel pulled thin in several directions and on and on we could go. Pastor David mentioned many more last week. It's into this context that we gather at church here today to study verses 4 through 7 
These verses here in the middle of the psalm, the second stanza, ask people, they ask you and I to consider how we respond to events like these. They ask us to consider whether we are tempted to be just as fearful, just as despondent, just as anxious as those who don't know God. If so, these words give us a fresh experience of God's power, a fresh supply of quiet confidence. In these verses, we see that God not only intends to guard us, but to make us glad. He intends not only to keep us safe, but to make us satisfied. Let's take a slow and closer look at the details of this psalm. Because poetry, especially biblical poetry, rewards those who linger. Those who sip rather than guzzle. I'll read verses 4 to 7 again and then highlight some of the truths that build our confidence. So if you have a Bible, just just keep leaving it open. We're going to look at the details closely. Psalm 46, 4 to 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I'll start our closer look with that line about the river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of the God, our God. Excuse me, the city of God. The contrast is jarring. What was the connotation of water in the first stanza? Just before, water was violent and turbulent. Seas that swallow mountains whole. Now what do we have? We have the image of a stream. Quiet river making glad the city of God. The city of God is Jerusalem, the place of God's special presence in the Old Testament, the the place where God dwelled with his people in the temple. This is why it calls, uh, as it continues, the holy habitation of the Most High. The psalm invites us to envision the special, like, uh, let's say it this way, this special city surrounded by an army to be besieged, to be strangled of supplies of food, and more immediately important, of water. You can go a few weeks without food, but only a few days without water, especially in the Middle East. And here, a quiet stream makes the city of God happy. This is no mere provision, no mere meeting of needs. This is abundance, delight, joy, gladness. The river imagery goes back to Genesis chapter 2 when the rivers that flowed through the Garden of Eden. Psalm 46 invites us to consider the joy the world had before sin and the joy it will have after sin is gone. Then we read in verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall 
not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. What's the promise of this verse? That because God has pledged himself to be with his people and protect them from complete annihilation, and not only that, but even that he plants himself among them, and therefore she shall not be, what does it say? Moved. Just put your finger there on the word moved. And then look up into verse 2. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Mountains might move and the place and people of God will not be moved. And if you let your eyes go down to verse 6. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Hebrew word is the same in all three. Mountains move, kingdoms totter or move. Yet God's people do not move. We do not totter. The Lord spoke the world into existence. And he can melt the most raging nations with a word. What an encouraging truth. What a confidence booster. And Israel experienced it. In Israel's history, though they were such a tiny, seemingly insignificant nation and people, they outlasted the rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall of so many kingdoms. The Egyptian, the Assyrian, the Babylonian, the Persian kingdoms. And then later, this psalm, after this psalm was written, the Greek, and then after that, the Roman kingdom. Nations rage and kingdoms totter, yet God is in the midst of his people. And they shall not totter. Even when they feel like the stump of a tree in a forest that's being cut down. As we're going through the details, look at the last verse for this morning. We'll get the others on Christmas Eve, Eve, and Christmas morning. But verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. When the Bible speaks like this of hosts, especially the Lord of hosts. It, it means armies. This verse says that God is the Lord of armies. That's what host means. Heavenly, angelic warriors. For those who know the story, and the Jewish people who would have sung this psalm together would have known this story well, they would, might have thought of when the Assyrian army surrounded King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. And in the middle of the night, after prayer and concern and anxiety on the part of God's people and their leader, God came and slaughtered the Assyrian army. It's a wild story. 2 Kings 18 and 19. Or consider, when Jesus was going to the cross and people were taunting him, mocking him, saying, can't you save yourself? Like, can't you just... Some prophet, some leader. You know how Jesus responds? Sometimes silence. Other time, he said, Do you think, quote, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will not at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Matthew 26, 53. He's the God of heavenly armies. Heavenly hosts. And he's the God of Jacob. 
I've been thinking a lot about why the sons of Korah wrote God of Jacob. Jacob's the grandson of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So there, there's antiquity here. There's faithfulness of God over time to build his family. And there's that fact and the fact that then Jacob has his name changed to Israel. So Jacob becomes the man Israel, which became the nation, the 12 tribes of Israel. But why not just say God of Israel and not God of Jacob? I actually don't know. I don't know with certainty because we're not told. But we certainly do know much about Jacob from the rest of the way he's treated in the Bible. You may not know much about the Bible, so I'll put it this way. Jacob was one of the good guys, but not because he was a good guy. Jacob proves that over and over. He's one of the good guys for the same reason that any of us are part of God's people. God simply chooses to love him and love him and love him and never let him go. That's Jacob's story. And that, I think, is why Jacob is highlighted. It's because he's small. He's not all that special. He's not all that faithful. To say the God of Jacob is a way to say that he is a strong and holy God for the weak and the wounded and the wayward. Don't miss that final word, verse 7 and verse 11, fortress. In verse 1, he's what? A refuge. Here he becomes a building even stronger. Fortress. So, we've talked about the details. We've sipped the poetry of this psalm. But, but what does that mean for you? What do the details mean for us? Here's what it means. Whatever, whatever, whatever good truths God promised to the people that came from Jacob, whatever confidence in God these truths cultivated among God's people before the Messiah came, they only mean more to us. They only mean more to you and me And I say this for so many reasons. Consider if the Lord of hosts was with them, if the God of Jacob was their fortress, then how much more is God with those who know even more of our God through Jesus? The name Emmanuel, God with us, verse 7, verse 11. That's that's what that means, Emmanuel, God with us. That's the name we give Jesus, or Jesus was given, I should say. We read this in the Christmas story at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, reading from chapter 1. All this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by his prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And the author even adds, which means God with us. And consider another reason these truths should give us confidence. In the Old Testament, when God took up his special dwelling in the place of Jerusalem, like that, that's, that's where he dwelled, it, it, and it was, as we read, his 
holy habitation. In this way, Judaism was primarily a come-and-see religion. Not exclusively, but primarily a come-and-see religion. But in the New Testament, after Jesus has come, lived, died, rose, ascended to the throne of the universe, and promised to come again, we are now in a more so a go-and-tell religion. And the promises of protection and joy, provision and satisfaction that were located in this special place of God are now located in the person of God dwelling among us, Jesus Christ. Which is all a way to say that wherever believers go, these promises go with us. He goes with us. We don't go alone. And I don't want to re-preach every truth we preached this fall, but we did talk about the local church and how God is committed to building his church and to use Jesus' own words upon the confession of faith that he is Lord and Messiah, Christ, Savior. All of that, he promised that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And if they had a hope that Jerusalem would not perish from the earth, how much more should we have a confidence that God's church will not perish from the earth? Our future is bright. Consider as well the various hopes the people of God have bound up related to this imagery of a river. A life-giving, joy-producing river. Jesus said, quote, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is saying that wherever believers go, as they are filled with God's Spirit, a river of life then flows from them. And the image of the river gets even better. Last week, Pastor David talked about how the Imagery in the Bible related to the sea is, is, is of turbulence and chaos. He even pointed out rightly that Revelation 21, to indicate the stability of heaven, says, quote, the sea was no more. But if you turn just one page from Revelation 21 to 22, it says, as it's talking even more about what heaven's like, what do we read? I'll read it to you. Then the angel of God showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the streets of the city. Also on the other side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And this river imagery just gets better and better as the scriptures go. And I could go on and on about what these truths, what these verses mean for us, but I'll close with this. We need to be saying Psalm 46-type truths to each other. We need to be singing Psalm 46-type truths to each other. We need the confidence that God offers us in this psalm. And the way he offers us to us is not typically some mystical, private dose of joy. It might be that. But the language of this psalm is communal. God is 
our refuge and strength. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. There is a river who makes glad the city of God, meaning where the people of God are gathered, meaning the local church. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Psalm 46 is here to bring us confidence, which is a gift that we can each give each other this Christmas. The confidence God may have given you, you need to give to others. Who do you know? Who do you know that you need to put a hand on their shoulder And look them in their eyes and say, because Jesus drank down all of God's wrath against your sin, there is nothing left for you but love. And he will not let you be destroyed. Oh, that this gladdening stream would flow out from us. As we go and tell it on the mountains that Jesus Christ is born and he's Lord and he, Brian said, he's coming again. Who do you know that you need to look them in the eyes and paraphrase, if you can, Romans chapter 8 where Paul says, if God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all on the cross. How will God not also, along with him, with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Romans 8.32 Psalm 46 used to be my go-to Bible passage to read when pastoral ministry would bring me into the scary places that are hospital rooms to the places that tended to erode confidence. I say it used to be my go-to passage, only because COVID's changed how hospital visits work. I haven't been in hospitals near as much as I used to be because I couldn't, but it's still my go-to passage. About 10 days ago, I went into a hospital room at night and read Psalm 46 to a couple from our church. And as I put out my hands to hold her hand and his hand and to pray with them, I realized that the last time I had stood that close to them, was when they stood looking back at me, playing the part of a handsome groom and a beautiful bride, as they exchanged their vows and rings. And now, just seven months later, an unexpected health challenge will probably lead to a scary surgery. If I told you that everything was going to be okay in the next few months from a medical standpoint, that's, that's probably true. It, it is probably true, and that is good. But it's also true that for this couple, and they told me I could share this, mountains feel like they're thrown into the heart of the sea. And they needed to hear someone say, God is our refuge, therefore, we do not fear. They needed to hear, God is a fortress. They needed to hear, there is a good news river that makes glad the people of God. And not only did they need to hear it, to be honest, I needed to say it. Again, God can wonderfully, spontaneously cause the beauty of his promises to land on people with a supreme confidence, seemingly an experience of joy out of nowhere. 
He can do that. He does do that. But most often, he chooses to do it when one believer speaks his promises over another so that both have their confidence lifted. Or, as the case may be this morning, when one believer sings these truths over another. And if finding a friend and reading Psalm 46 or quoting Romans 8 to another person feels like just a bit too much, maybe you could just hand them our Christmas flyer and say, come and see. Invite the music team to come up and lead us in one more song. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come the only way we can come, with dirty hands and empty hands. And so we ask for what we do not deserve. We ask for what only you can give. We ask not, if I can even say it this way, for mere forgiveness, but for confidence and for joy. We pray this in Christ's name.